0: Whoever was the first to say, "'Tis better to give than to receive," obviously never was up for an Oscar.
1: Now they're wonderful. They all have their Oscars but are they happy
2: hello and welcome back to the snub club the podcast where we talk about the movies that have the most oscar noms and no wins whatsoever call me park chan wook because i'm making the decision
1: to leave this is danny Vincent. i will explain this later
0: on okay this is my joke i hope it works <laughs> that's so stupid i'm sarah what
1: <laughs> what just happened <laughs> did you hear it no i didn't. no. i have no <laughs> idea what just happened i haven't played i haven't played on my recording i played the dhx sound Oh.
0: Or we could also just make it go like, (laughs) edit that in.
3: (laughs) And I'm the newly uh, anointed member of the Pharaohs, Caleb Bunn.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to be like, and I'm your host of Star Wars.
3: (laughs) That would be better. See, (laughs) welcome back to the podcast called The Snub Club, where we talk about (laughs) movies and life.
2: (laughs) All right. Uh, So we're at the 46th Academy Award, which is actually a really big deal because this is. 50 years ago in 1973. And the reason that also came to mind is because this had 50th anniversary screenings a couple of weeks ago when I was in Alaska. I would have actually gone to it if I wasn't, you know, in Alaska. But anyway, with 10 nominations at this Academy Awards was The Sting. It won seven. It won Best Picture, Best Director for George Roy Hill, Best Original Screenplay, Best Musical Score. I normally say who did the score. I didn't write it down this time. Does anyone have the score person? Uh, it's Marvin Ham. No, it's not uh it is oh i'm sorry i gave the wrong award anyway it won best adapted score which was also adapted by marvin hamlich which is interesting because he also won original score for uh, uh the way we were uh so he won two score awards in one night anyway it also won best Costume design best art direction best film editing then there was another film time nominations called the exorcist uh just so you know we are not associated with the upcoming film so we are not advertising Get out of here, Ellen Burstyn.
0: Well, somebody has to. It might as well be us.
2: <laughs> uh, it won Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Sound. I'm really tempted to bring up something about the new Exorcist movie, but I don't want Caleb to get mad at me, so I won't. Uh, then, with, no, no, it's a, it's a quote about the Exorcist the new one. Where it's like, what? Okay. Why you, anyway.
3: Why would I get mad at you about because that? It's from it's somebody, like...
2: The quote is from someone you don't like.
3: Oh, okay.
2: The, uh, with was six nominations. Was the way we were, which, as I already said, won best original score and best original song for song that was called "The Way We Were." Uh, then there were three films that had five nominations. One of them was "A Touch of Class," which won which won best actress. Another one was called "Cries and Whispers," which won best cinematography.
1: And then there's a film with five nominations that won nothing, which is "American Graffiti." Sarah, what was "American Graffiti" nominated for?
0: Uh, yeah, it was nominated for Best Picture and lost to The Sting, Best Director for George Lucas, who lost to George Roy Hill for The Sting. Uh, he was nominated two more times for a little-known movie called Star Wars in 1978, um, and also for writing this same year. He also won the Irvin G. Thalberg Memorial Award in 1992. Best it's so, so year, early
2: to give 15. it to him. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Go
0: on. <laughs> I would say it probably came at the right time. That's true. Uh, knowing what we know now. <laughs> best Supporting Actress for Candy Clark, who lost, of course, to Tatum O'Neill for Paper for Paper Moon. Uh, best Original Screenplay for George Lucas, Gloria Katz, and Willard Height, Huy- Something like that. Uh, they lost to David S. Ward for The Sting. Uh, of course, Lucas was also nominated that year for Director. And best editing for Verna Fields and Marsha Lucas. They lost to William H. Reynolds for The Sting. Uh, Fields won in 1976 for Jaws, and Lucas won in 1978 for Star Wars.
1: All right. Um, so, time for some fun facts. Uh, one of these fun facts on
2: Wikipedia seems like something I already said, or this is the most recent ceremony where the top three highest grossing were nominated for Best Picture. I feel like I said that recently. And I must have been accurate if this movie, if this year is also it, because the highest grossing films of this year were The Exorcist, The Sting, and American Graffiti. Um, Marvin Hamlish won three awards. Oh, okay. So Marvin Hamlish does hold that record where he won three awards in one night without winning Best Picture, which is cool because he's a composer. You know, like I assume he also won then for the song I listed. I assume he, yeah, he did write the song that I said. This was the Oscars with a streaker, <laughs> the infamous one. Uh, but yeah, uh, Catherine Hepburn made her only ever appearance at the Oscars. She'd never shown up to accept her award before. Um, and it was to present the Irving G. Favre Award to Lawrence Weingarten. Uh, Tatum O'Neill was, wow. Um, sorry, I'm bringing ahead. Tatum O'Neill, uh, was the youngest ever winner of an Oscar, which she still is. She, I don't know if she'll ever be surpassed because she was 10 years old. 140 hit days of age because we do keep that much to track if we are keeping track of like age things. So, will she ever be beaten? I don't know. Should she have been beaten in 2015? No, sorry. Not that year. Yes, 2015. I would posit, yes, she should have. Leonardo DiCaprio, you stole Jacob
0: Tremblay's Oscar. Um, Jacob Tremblay would have been supporting.
2: He should have been lead, though. He's the lead of that movie. (laughs) I agree he would have been put in support, but he's the lead of that movie. So this is what I was chuckling at, which is a, apparently the entire In Memoriam tribute was just for Samuel Goldwyn. No one else got honored this year. They dedicated the entire In Memoriam reel just to him. This is the only time they have ever done this, probably for a good reason. Like I feel like that's very insane to do. Groucho Marx got an honorary Academy Award. This is the with Taylor O'Neill winning, uh, you know, being the youngest ever. Uh, John Houseman, I believe, won supporting actor. He was 71 years old, making 61 years the biggest age gap between two acting wins. Again, that's a stat I doubt will ever be beaten. Uh, And then this last one, which I think is kind of cool, this is the first time a woman ever won Best Picture as producer. Uh, Julia Phillips produced *The Sting*, so she won, which is.
3: Neat. wow danny you think it's fun that a woman's only won that award once
2: uh this point in history uh in the future we will eventually um you know get to more after all i will say
0: historic wait what uh, i
2: thought you were gonna be like i'm fern I'm
0: not for it. No, <laughs> no, I don't even know that quote. Um, oh, I thought
3: I thought you meant this is the only time in history. No, this is <laughs> this was the first. Time. Okay, that makes <laughs> most historically.
0: So I have not said who was the producer of the film when it's nominated for best picture. I will continue to not do that, but I do want to say specifically for this film, I did not mention him because I do not like him.
2: Actually, I watched them, and I'll get into this. This I'll explain my joke now, which is uh, I watched the 71-minute documentary on the DVD about the making of it. And I bring it up because in the documentary, they mentioned that uh, Universal was like, because this project could not get home anywhere because it's kind of, in a lot of ways, revolutionary for its time. Although I'm sure there's other things around this time that's doing the same thing it is. It's a revolution because it was successful. And it was like, George Lucas kept pitching these places. No one wanted it. And then finally, Universal's like, we'll take it, but you have to get a big name on it. And it was right when Coppola finished the Godfather. So he's like, can Coppola be my big name? Cause I don't want to cast a big actor. And they're like, yeah, sure. The Godfather is huge. We'll take Coppola. Like, uh, and that's why Coppola is the producer.
3: Well, and, and Coppola and Lucas were friends at the time and working together and Coppola encouraged him to make this movie. Yeah, Because he's like, you need to make a more grounded, after THX, he's like, you need to make a more grounded movie so people can see like that you can do a human story.
2: But the reason I also, I'll explain my joke in it, is that Lucas explains near the end of it, where it's like, he's like, ultimately, I think this is a movie
1: about the decision to leave. And I was like, that's a movie. <laughs> that, is, that is a film. <laughs> so... Yeah. American Graffiti.
3: American Graffiti. It's a movie that takes place in 1962 on the last day of uh, summer vacation, and it follows four uh, newly graduated fellows. Um, Kurt, played by Richard Dreyfuss, who is this person who's just gotten a scholarship to go to school, but he hasn't decided if he wants to go yet. Steve, who is played by um, Ron Howard, who is kind of on an on again, off again thing with his girlfriend because he's like, Yeah, hey, we should, we should, uh, see other people while we're at school. And then he gets mad at her because she takes him up on that. Uh, then there's John Milner, who's a drag racer, uh, who Harrison Ford wants to drag race and he gets stuck kind of babysitting this younger girl. And then there is, um, Terry, aka Toad, who Carry the Ron toad. Howard, yeah, around Howard gives his car to and he ends up picking up a girl and, um, Trying to continually impress her and get in worse and worse situations because of it.
2: Can I just say I think this is movie's made five years later, it'd be a much more annoying movie because they would have cast Eddie Dezine in that role. And I think he would have played it too broad. Just gotta say that. Yeah. Put that on the record. As much as like- I like Eddie Dizine,
1: despite, you know, he has a lot of he's kind of crazy Wikipedia page. Uh, but.
2: But I yeah. feel like
0: that character was the closest. I mean, I, I clacked that character as soon as I saw that that was the George Lucas insert character. <laughs> I mean, uh, technically they're all supposed to be, but that one in the dark, I Lucas. I think
2: he said that he thought his was um, Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah, he would Lord. like that. Well, he's the main character, so I kind of get my <laughs> hero.
0: <laughs> I'm here to say that George Lucas is
2: incorrect. <laughs> okay. Um, actually... One quick note about the doc that I think would be really funny to mention in our concept of George Lucas and also to talk about this film is that we did not watch the original theatrical of this film because it apparently doesn't exist anymore. And he proudly says that in the documentary, he's like, or he's like, um, Universal made me cut about five minutes of the film, and I was a little upset by that. So in 1992, when I was able to re-release it, I added those scenes back in, and that version, the first version, doesn't exist anymore. I was like George. This is where he, this is where he began. This is where
3: he George <laughs> loves doing it.
0: He can't control himself.
2: <laughs> it's like you can't access this.
3: This is why he's not releasing any of the films he's made, uh, like recently. It's just because he's like, if they don't see it, then they can't change it.
2: <laughs> we should all do our George Lucas impressions, by the way.
0: He's... <laughs> we- <laughs> yeah. I can't do mine. I'm gonna laugh. I just I have vivid memories before, I, like when I put the tape in, and there would be these long talks with George Lucas, and he'd be like, "Well, uh, I just, when I made this movie, I'll
2: be real." My George Lucas impression is it's like it's an impression of a George. I've heard more people do impressions of George Lucas than I watched George Lucas.
3: I think mine is mine is partially that. It's partially us quoting him on Star Wars therapy all the time, and increasingly worse and worse impressions. And then there's just this one chuckle that he does occasionally where he's just like, <laughs> and that's, I think my <laughs> basis for him.
2: One thing I always encourage people to do who like listening to film podcasts is I'm about to advertise a podcast. that's the most popular film cat podcast ever, but everyone should go back and listen to the first year of blank check because it's just George Lucas impressions basically. And because their whole premise is they started with was, was what if The Phantom Menace was the only Star Wars movie to ever be released and we have to dissect this movie as if it's just a movie that came out was successful and <laughs> has no future. And it's, such a, it's really funny and they do a lot of George impressions. That's, that's where I
1: get my George impression is from those impressions. But anyway, um, what would you guys think of American Graffiti?
3: Had either of you seen this one before?
1: No,
0: no, I've seen parts of it, but not the full thing.
3: I watched this either freshman or sophomore year of high school. I don't remember which with my dad and I remember liking it a lot and I remember like thinking that was a cool experience because it was like one of those where your dad showing you something that is important to him. And of course, as a Star Wars fan, I was really keen on seeing like Lucas's other work. I don't think until tonight I realized how much I like I digested with this movie. I can think of three separate projects in school or at least three separate scripts. Only one of them ever got filmed that were just me trying to do American graffiti. And so it's this weird thing where it's like, I saw it once, but it left a really big impact on me both in like what I've tried to make. but also I'm thinking back to like, how I was my last like couple weeks before going to college, and I was very much like thinking about American graffiti and trying not to do what the characters did in it, so um yeah, this is a this is a movie uh, very, very weird, weirdly affecting movie that I've only seen twice.
2: I think this movie first off, made me feel old because Richard Dreyfus was twenty six in this movie, and like he looks old like you know he does not look like a high schooler in it um but also I don't know okay this is one of those movies where I am dealing with I I don't know I should probably go to the doctor about this but I've been dealing with like on and off insomnia this year worse than ever before and I've not gotten much sleep this past week this was a movie where I was struggling to stay awake and it was not the movie's fault and this is like the worst possible kind of movie to watch when you're tired Because, you know, there's no plot, really. So I appreciate it. I hope to revisit it in two or three years when I'm more awake. Because I did. It's like, it's fine. It's one. And it also comes back to that thing where I'm sure I've mentioned this concept before on the podcast where I like Dazed and Confused. I like the movies that, like, take influence from this. But as for this itself, I'm a little like,
3: oh, no, I think you're almost relating to the characters if you watch it while tired.
2: That's actually another funny thing about the uh, movie, the doc, is they mentioned that they shot in sequence um, which meant that by the end of the movie, because they kept shooting every night and the hotel they stayed at was loud during the day, by the end of the movie they all look exhausted because they've been up for a month shooting the movie. Um, But no, uh, I I did enjoy it. Uh, I think, I'm sure we'll talk about it, I think the last 30 seconds does a lot to make me like it even more. Uh, but, I don't know, there's a lot of good stuff in here. I think there's one nomination here that feels insane to me. Uh, but, I don't know, it's good. Uh, and I have other thoughts too, but I think Sarah can give her general thoughts before I
1: get into anything else. Well, I didn't
0: like it. I...
1: Is it because of the main
0: character? Because I thought they were terrible. I will put that on Well, <laughs> I'm trying... Well, <laughs>
2: what here's the thing, I'm is I feel like there women. are certain things
0: that you can be like, you can separate it like you can like, like I love Rocky, for example, and I feel like I can separate that. I can be like, OK, whatever it's but like this, I feel like there are too many things that were a little bit questionable, questionable to me. I also feel like and I don't I hate to like say it like this because I don't. I don't know. I don't want to discredit anybody's opinion here for me personally. I just didn't really feel like lately. I've been feeling really bummed out because my 20s are almost over. And I feel like I didn't get this, like, vibe. And maybe it could be just because, like, when I was a senior in high school, I was really depressed. So I, was like, already was, like, past that point.
2: I didn't say anything about that because this isn't, like, my show I get personal on, which is I can get personal right now. It's, I was getting that vibe, too. But it wasn't like I held it against the movie. But I was just kind of like, dang, these kids, because they are having so much fun. Doing a senior but I didn't in high get school, that vibe. I was just like, I'm whatever. Lame. I'm lame. See, I, was I'm lame. Like... I wasted my life.
3: Anyway. I'm like, <laughs> I guess even in high school, I was like, oh God, I really, except maybe, I don't know. i Milner's not the worst, I guess, but I don't like all these guys have so much weird baggage and it's more of like a cautionary tale to me than anything else where it's like, I don't think they're really having fun. Like I'm not, I'm not envious of them. I'm yeah, kind of grateful that I'm not in their position.
0: I thought Milner was okay. I thought there was one part with him that was really strange. But I feel like nobody was really like super likable, except for perhaps the Oscar nominee that is questionable.
2: I think there was one other woman that was likable, but actually, I think most of the women were likable. I didn't have any issues with. Uh...
0: Yeah, I guess it's just like the main, yeah. like the three,
2: the three, dudes. three yeah.
0: dudes. Yeah, especially Ron Howard. He sucked. It's so weird, like
2: Howard. Get
0: it wrong. I'm used to
3: because, <laughs> like, I grew up watching. Um Andy Griffith, and I grew up aware of Happy Days. We were allowed to watch it because it annoyed my mom. But so those are the two things I knew him from. And then I and like in both of those he plays very wholesome characters. And this he just plays such a sleaze bag.
2: What I think is interesting that you say. It, well, I, I agree, obviously. But what I think was funny, one thing I because I've never watched Happy Days. So you saying like he plays a wholesome character in Happy Days surprised me because the way Wikipedia describes his casting is like. He was cast because they, he wanted to get out of like the whole like you know the typecasting that Andy Griffith put him in, and then conversely, this film got him cast in Happy Days as a similar character's role in this movie. And I'm like, well, that, that kind of backfired, I guess. You know, when I, I read that because I was like, but then also it's like, so, Ron Howard's didn't me successful, so it's not like I feel bad for him at all.
3: <laughs> I I very, I will admit, I may be misremembering Happy Days because it has been years since I. Snuck an episode.
2: The question is Has I should look this up? Has Henry Winkler ever starred in a Ron Howard joint? Now I'm curious because Kathleen Quinlan has a cameo in this, which I think is amusing. Well, the documentary pointed it out, but I also recognized it when I was looking at the letterbox page of the cast. Uh, Kathleen Quinlan was supporting actress nominee for Apollo 13. So they met. I got. I, I'm gonna assume they met on this phone. <laughs> I'm just, just gonna assume that. <laughs> What else was I going to... I was going to say one other thing about this before I turned it over to Sarah. I was trying to think. Uh, I don't know. Oh, you know what I was thinking about? Um, Maybe this is more of a closing but I can just say it now. Is One thing that this movie did get me more bummed about was like, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was good. I I think I'd like it more on a rewatch
1: is how I put it. Um, But it did get me kind of in that state where it's always like, ugh. George Lucas didn't do Star Wars. He would have had a
2: really interesting career. Uh, or if rather, if, like he didn't like. It's really interesting to me because the thought I had when I was watching the documentary and watching the movie was like, you know, now there's an article out today that I was talking to Sarah about uh, with Nia of getting interviewed, which always, you know, because she's doing a Marvel movie, where it's always like, oh, the indie system right now just picks these directors up and plops them in the superhero movies and blah blah, and I'm like. You know, it's really interesting because that, in a way, is what happened to George Lucas, even though it was his own IP, because he did Star Wars and wasn't able to really direct anything. And I know he didn't direct Return of the Jedi or anything, but it was I know it's a very different situation, but it was one of those things where it's like it's the person I thought of was Ridley Scott. Imagine if George Lucas like had a career like Ridley Scott. Or he could just do whatever he wanted instead of being stuck up in the. And I understand George. Lucas, I shouldn't pity George Lucas. He's a billionaire, but it's like, imagine the art we could have got. That would have been interesting. I've haven't. Have you seen THX? I review because I haven't seen THX. Like uh yeah, no.
3: it's been a long time, but because I, I think heard this, it. is, it's not this good. Is
2: this is like nothing like Star Wars to me? Other than like a couple like bits here and there, and of course Harrison Ford's here, which always
0: made me laugh in the documentary when they cut the Harrison Ford but like yeah, George is like this. I'm like, yeah, this
1: is, this is the guy I go to talk to about how George acts like on set in general because <laughs> he had to deal with him a lot more than anyone else here.
2: <laughs> so
3: I think, the, I think there are a couple connections that you can tentatively make to Star Wars. Um, I do think that he takes a lot from Joseph Campbell here, which he also does from Star Wars, especially with Richard Dreyfuss's character. It's just in such different settings that stands out a little bit less. I think that you can see his fascination with uh, like mechanics and cards and stuff in the star Wars movies. Although they cut a lot of that stuff out of the first one, like a lot of the Luke on Tatooine early, like that stuff very much. If you watch those deleted scenes, you can see he's it's in line with uh, it's in line with American graffiti, just not good because the actors are acting like they're in a pulpy sci-fi movie and not a coming of age movie. Um, and then I think I think you can see kind of how he's juggling some of these characters. I feel like uh, I feel like there is some um, some semblance of like you can see seeds of the side characters of Star Wars coming out, but that might be because I've seen Star Wars so many times that I can literally I mean, connect anything I think to all it. We've seen Star
1: Wars a lot here. <laughs>
3: But, sorry, yeah, I'm yeah, just imagining yeah. but like, you
2: being like, Yeah, sorry guys. I've definitely seen Star Wars. No, I know you're not saying that. I did not say that. that? What I, you know, said. I know you didn't say that, but I'm just imagining like you'd be like, Yeah guys, I'm the real Star Wars fan. No. That's <laughs> not
0: what he said. I know. I'm just
1: thinking. <laughs> okay, I was like, I'm never talking again. <laughs> no, you like, I didn't say that either. You can still talk. Sorry, I'm being a jerk. Go on.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I But I, I do agree. It is, it is very different. And the story of George Lucas and to a lesser extent Coppola really is that they kind of came in at the worst time because they got everything they wanted so early on in the film industry and they never got to achieve that again because they had such big lofty dreams with American Zoetrope and they were never able to actually make that work. And they were both kind of chained to their success.
1: I will I
2: will say about Coppola though, is at least Coppola like I feel like he's had like after Apocalypse Now, which you know is like his peak, he still does interesting stuff. Like he makes movies that are get mixed reviews. Like he I need to watch at some point the I know the Cotton Club like, you know, was apparently fixed. And like I like Peggy Sue got married. It's fun. Like, you know, like he in ha- Dracula he does have an interesting career after. Those all, it's just not, you know. You're right. He doesn't hit the same success as the Godfathers, but it's not like George Lucas who just disappears.
3: (laughs) Well, George Lucas does stuff. He he did Indiana Jones throughout the '80s and the '90s, and then
0: he no, he did not direct. He did Captain EO.
3: He did do Captain EO. (laughs) He did how he wrote Howard (laughs) the Duck. I think the thing. I think the real reason he doesn't direct is because he was a bad director. Like,
0: well, that's. I mean. (laughs) He's he's kind of like the Zack Snyder of of olden times. He's he's there's no restraint. I just like I like Zack Snyder, but this the stuff that he puts out there is so like there's a reason why he has all these extended cuts, because it doesn't make any sense unless you watch them. And I feel like George Lucas just and I could be a symptom of, you know, getting what he wanted so early. But it just like there was no there's nobody to say, no, that's a bad idea. And you know, people cloud on George Lucas. I have my own feelings. I feel like I don't know. I feel like his work for me, I would put him solidly in the middle of film directors. I think that he had a couple of really amazing things, and I think his worst is outshines his best for me.
3: Yeah, I think I think that's a fair reading.
1: I think and we're gonna uh... Hint, hint, but I won't say for what.
2: We will eventually talk about the structure on this podcast. But earlier this year, I went to like he's in the same school as these guys. I went to the Robert Zemeckis uh, retrospective and watched every single Robert Zemeckis movie in like two weeks. And I think he's another guy who's kind of similar in the sense where like I think artistically he peaks early, but then like six, like Forrest Gump is in my opinion after that peak. If
1: you get what I mean. <laughs>
0: Although yeah. I do like
2: contact a lot. And then since then he's just been doing weird stuff. And in a weird way, I like I, I I full disclosure, I haven't watched many Coppola, so maybe I'm coming from like the place of privilege of knowing Zemeckis's career. I think Zemeckis, with the exception of his recent two, like I want to call him Disney movies, but one of them's is Warner Brothers, technically. I think he always is doing something interesting and weird, even if the movie's bad. Um but I don't know. I think they're all in the same school. Um, which makes sense because that was actually what I was thinking about watching this boot documentaries. Is I've seen whatever criterion documentary they had for I Wanna Hold Your Hand, where it talks. No, actually, no, it's not that. I watched the document I watched 1941 earlier this year, separate from it. And in that documentary, they talk about because Zemeckis wrote that movie, how Spielberg mentored Zemeckis, and like this is like Coppola helped out. So all these guys worked together, you know? And yeah, Spielberg's there's the only one who has like the most consistent like. Is consistent throughout the decades, with the exception of Ready Player One and Hook. He's
1: going to give you something worth your time. I haven't seen The Terminal though. Have you guys seen The Terminal? I have. Is it good? Um,
0: I remember liking it.
1: I do want to watch it someday. I'm sure it's again. It's
2: Spielberg. It's. I don't think any of his stuff. Even even Ready Player One, I think is a bad movie. Is interesting to watch Spielberg be like. I like The Shining, you know? <laughs> like- well,
0: that's why I don't like Spielberg now, because he just takes movies that already exist and is like, I'll put my own little spin on it.
3: I do. I think, I think the Zemeckis-Lucas comparison is apt, because they both are directors who are very interested in the technology of filmmaking, and that's why, I don't know, I'm happy for Lucas, for him to hang out on his ranch, and to make experimental films that no one will see because I think that's what he likes. And when I call him a bad director, it's not because I think he has bad filmmaking instincts. It's because he doesn't know how to like work with actors or even like, I feel like he stumbles into good shots and stuff like that. He is, he is a guy who seems to like hyper fixate on certain elements of filmmaking. And I think it's, I don't think it's odd that one of his, uh, he has six films, so you can't say too much, but I do think this is his best directed film is the one where he can't do anything like technologically groundbreaking.
2: I will also want to give some credit to him. He's not the credit DP, but he's credited as visual consultant is Haskell Wexler worked on this, who is considered one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. Um, yeah. There's yeah. a lot
0: of film school names. There's Haskell Wexler. There was Walter Merch, did the, yeah. The sound.
2: Um, didn't he edit too? Who's the editor? Yeah. Days of Heaven. I was trying to remember what Haskell Walsh was. He did Days of Heaven. Um, among other you know, great movies. But
3: yeah.
2: Who's the. Oh, Marsha Lucas did the editing uncredited, I believe. I actually I don't Verda know if she's Fields. credited on the movie or not. I shouldn't say she was uncredited. On this? Yeah. I did. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, remember. she's credited. Is she in the opening crowds. I didn't remember seeing her. But I also probably wasn't heard of her film. Oh, Verna, um, Verna Fields F- edited this. Yeah,
3: she also uh, edited it.
2: Who. Apparently edited Jaws. I mean she saw a lot of Richard Dreyfus in the editing booth. Uh, <laughs> that's not, I actually do wonder, I should look that up. Did, do you think this movie, like George was like, hey Steven, you gotta check out
1: this Richard Dreyfus guy? Because this uh, was Richard Dreyfus's first movie.
3: Yeah, I'd imagine it's the opposite. Um because Jaws is so far away from this, but and I don't know. Is
1: it isn't
2: Jaws? Jaws is it's like two years, which means like when this was coming out. Wait, wait, wait,
3: wait. Oh, Jaws isn't seventy-seven. Star Wars seventy-seven. Yes, is Jaws, Jaws seventy-six. Oh, okay. When's so, Close Encounters? 77. Okay. Yeah.
1: But this still beat. I'm. I'm actually just, I'm quickly on the Jaws page to see if this
2: is on. If it's mentioned on casting. Uh, curious.
1: Uh, I, I should just control off Dreyfus it's too long of a page for me to do that uh yeah no yeah it says it um lucas suggested dreyfus
2: and initially passed on the uh actually it's a funny story it says dreyfus initially passed but then he went to a pre-release screening of a movie called i can't believe this is a real title for a movie the apprenticeship of duddy kravitz which he was like this movie is terrible uh and no one will hire me after it so i will of course do the Spielberg blockbuster because George Lucas said it'd be good and that guy helped me out earlier, you know. Um,
1: but I also think Richard Dreyfus is good at a job. I like Richard Dreyfuss. As yeah, actor. good actor. Yeah. He's a, he's someone, I rec-
2: I think I mentioned, this, I recently watched The Good by a Girl. He's just an actor I like popping up in things. Um, or at least like movies of this era, you know. I don't really like Post Encounters, but he's, good,
1: you know. <laughs>
3: Close Encounters is more interesting than it is anything else. <laughs> yeah,
1: which is what Spielberg is too. Like, I, I
2: actually, you know, I take it back. I said Spielberg is. I very much in nineteen forty one.
3: I um, I do kind of want to go through these four storylines yeah. if y'all are cool with that. Um, starting out with, and it's the one where the least amount happens, but the uh, the Stephen Laurie. Uh storyline, which is Ron Howard continually being a being a jerk and still ending up with the girl
1: I thought that okay, actually, you know, I should just have this be like a blanket statement, and we don't like
2: I won't mention I mean I'll still mention if people bring it up. I don't think there's a single bad actor in this movie. I think everyone does the role well do i like like you know like it's it's something where it's weird to me because i know ron howard i don't actually i didn't watch the Andy Griffith show so to me i'm just like oh yeah this is the guy who was like you know with the baseball hat that's like in like the special features for like the grinch and like apollo 13 (laughs) uh and then you know like when i was watching the documentary the documentary was made in 97 so it's like oh yeah there's ron howard film director like but it's really weird because i feel like of everyone here like Richard Dreyfuss and Harrison Ford I think have their fame pretty quickly after this, whereas Ron Howard, to me, I only start recognizing his face like in the 90s first. Um, But I was going to say, because I want to mention her specifically, I think I actually like this part of the movie, because I think Cindy Williams is giving a really, really great performance. I find her very empathetic, despite being underwritten. Um, And I don't know, like again, I'm coming from that perspective of the doc, where she explained this is a movie about I wish I had her exact words in front of me but she had a really good way of like envisioning the she didn't want the role she explicitly said I don't want to take that that's the worst of these female roles she has the least amount of fun and then they're like yeah but then apparently ever I think Coppola said they Coppola called her up and was like you don't want to miss this movie because this is going to be like something really special and she's like all right all right I won't miss it um but like I think she's really good in this movie and I think the way she put it, and again, I'm paraphrasing is like she viewed her character as someone who's told like change might happen and she's afraid that if she, she doesn't want to be left behind, you know, she doesn't yeah. she doesn't think she can do better, which is a shame, but I think it's also interesting to hear an actor like talk about that, like, you know, from that place where it's like this is the role, and I have to get into that role because it's what's written, you know. And I I, I found it I, I found it personally more compelling than the Richard Dreyfus stuff. I found the Richard Dreyfus stuff pretty. As someone who likes Richard Dreyfus, I found it pretty dull. But I thought the two actors for this, even though yeah, Ron, Ronnie wasn't a very good person, and the I forget his character name, but Ronnie wasn't a very good person. But I, I just thought it was
0: compelling. I don't know if I agree that everybody was a good actor, but I feel like I have to. I I feel like it has more to do with Lucas's direction. I feel like he clearly allowed improvising. Uh, and a lot of the time, they just could not do it, um, and he just didn't give them the right, the right way to go. And I think Ron Howard, especially, is just he struggles with the the improv- improvisation.
3: George That's Lucas hilarious. not knowing how to work with actors, <laughs> unheard of.
0: You say, um,
3: but
2: this still probably has like the best performances in his entire film. Oh
3: yeah, about yeah, HX. no, just, no thx. <laughs> Listen, Unless we can like, like James
2: Earl Jones. as like a great performance, I guess.
3: <laughs> no, listen, THX is one of those movies where it's like, it's very, I can't, can't wait to see where you go from here. It's not supposed to be amazing. It's just very much a proof of concept of what he's going to do moving forward. And then yeah. he didn't get to do that because he got stuck in Star Wars. To
2: jump over to another actor very quickly, it is kind of. Weird to me that I actually think if you're gonna, if we're gonna, everyone's good, but I think, yeah, you can't single out weaker people. I think Harrison Ford is easily one of the weakest people in this cast, which is why it's crazy that in Star, probably because he was used to George by that point. In Star Wars, he's by far the most charismatic. He's the only person there who's like really like putting himself into his character. And you know, like Star Wars obviously bo- like really makes, well, Indiana Jones cements it, but like Star Wars makes him a star.
0: I mean, I thought he was funny. He had a weird accent. He just <laughs> he just kept showing up. Like his I thought he was funny. I think I think it's small. hilarious. Like I think it's hilarious just that like he, he was a carpenter. He demanded more money. He said he wasn't gonna get his hair cut. He said he was gonna wear a hat the whole time. Like he had so many demands right off the bat.
2: In the doc they say he and um Charles were the two people who kept throwing parties every night. Funny, <laughs> Makes it's funny because it's toad. Uh, but he's like, yeah, yeah. Everyone else, because it's Dreyfus. Is like, Dreyfus is like all of us hung out together, and those two would go off and do their own thing and invite us <laughs> to, to partake.
3: I think I don't think Harrison Ford's very good in this, um, but I think he's he's serviceable for the limited screen screen time he has.
0: He's really not in a lot.
3: Yeah, if he was in it anymore, he would start being a detriment to the film. Though he hadn't quite. Yeah. He, he still had a lot of like walk on roles and guns spoke to do before he, uh, he got to Harrison, the Harrison Ford. We know, um, I will say about the Steve storyline. I do really like, uh, Cindy Williams. I think she has a lot of really good, um, expressions in this, especially at the sock hop scene. Um, it makes sense why she would then go to like be pretty, have a pretty decent career in TV. Um, and, but I think what's like, I talk a lot about like likability of characters, but there's something so real about the, all the faults with these people that it kind of like negates it. And it's like, I don't know. I, I don't want to, I don't feel the need to like critique these characters because of what they do besides like recognizing what that, what they're doing is bad. It's more about like, huh, I bet there are a lot of people really like this. And this is a weird way of documenting it because they're not quite aware enough that these are bad people.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think for that storyline in particular, I don't know, like, especially when you're in like a long-term relationship, it's like, you know, you get stuck in like, you just get stuck. And I get that sense of it. I feel like, as an adult now, I look at it and I'm like, girl, run. But I get what they were trying to do. I, it just, and I, I mean, spoiler alert for the sequel, but yeah, that continues. Richard Dreyfuss is not in it. Um, <laughs> but that kind of idea continues that they're just like settling for each other. And I think that that's kind of, I don't know, it's like, it's to me.
2: Does the sequel take place before or after the
1: uh, epilogue?
0: uh before well before but not like they change it yeah it just I don't know for me like you know for teen dramas and stuff I think it's like that the idea that people are like settling for each other I think is interesting but again it's one of those things where it's like oh maybe this should hit harder than it does and it doesn't really it's just kind of like oh okay
3: it does I do think that and the Richard Dreyfus subplot take a back seat to the Milner and uh Toad subplot Um, I really, I really like the Milner subplot. I like that this character is like stuck with this younger girl and he is deeply frustrated by it. Um, but it almost like, I don't know. It reveals so much about the character because he's stuck in this situation. He doesn't like,
1: yeah, I would say, um,
2: that's Mackenzie Phillips who plays the younger girl, right? I think she's, you know, I keep saying like these
1: actors, they're great,
2: but like they are. <laughs> I find her a lot more compelling than um, the guy, uh, Paulo Matt, who kept reminding me of that guy from Stranger Things, who I don't like, who's in Power Rangers also.
0: Oh, I was gonna say Jonathan. <laughs> no, 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 it's not Jonathan.
2: <laughs> so, so I'm, I have, I have. Weird nicknames for both of those guys. if you guys know that game I used to play where we like would make movies, people kept not me kept trying to make both of them stars, and I was annoyed by it. So I gave them both like really bad names. I won't say Java's name because it'd probably get me canceled.
1: Um, but I named him Scuzzface because I feel like he has a scuzz face. Anyway, this guy reminded me of okay. Scuzzface.
0: I thought the storyline was okay. I, it kind of it reminded me of Love, actually. It reminded me of like Liam Neeson uh, just hanging out with a kid, which I thought was okay. I don't really know how I feel about its conclusion. I know that it wasn't meant to be this way, but I think the actor played it in a very strange way that I'm kind of like, uh, okay.
3: Do you mean when he's trying to get the address from the kid?
0: No, like I get what he was doing. That was like fine, whatever. It's like when he, when she actually leaves and he like lingers a little bit, I thought it was like,
3: Uh, I don't know. I didn't get the full
0: intent of what he was thinking about.
3: Yeah. And this is a movie that like he's clearly uncomfortable with the situation, but also like a few scenes before we'd seen a teacher hooking up with a student and it wasn't. It was like passively critical maybe of that, right. but like, so it's definitely a movie that can raise eyebrows in certain scenes and situations.
0: Like I didn't think that it was going to go in. The, well, I didn't, I thought it wasn't going to go in that direction. And then I was like, Oh, huh? like, is it? And then I was like, okay, it's going to be like a sweet little ending. He's getting, I knew he was going to give her a kiss on the cheek, whatever. That's fine. I just felt like, I don't know. I just, the lesson to be learned there felt Strange to me,
3: no, it's like that I think that's all valid. I do really like though how it continues on afterwards and how um he like he goes he ends up racing uh Harrison Ford and his frustration with like knowing that he would have lost um and it's almost like you can see how he's gonna and, also like he kind of teams up with toad at the end which is like oh these are the two that are getting left behind like ron howard ends up staying behind but you kind of get the feeling that these are the two in the friend group who are going to have to stick together now because the rest of the ensemble is breaking up um and i don't know there's just there's just kind of this whole weird tragedy about it even before you find out that he dies in a car crash um I don't know, and I think you don't have all that pace pathos unless you have like this scene where he's walking through the uh, the junkyard and stuff. And so, I do. Th- yeah, I don't know. I just I think he's a really interesting um, character who has a lot of like. There's just a lot of deep sadness in his uh, in his
1: role, right? I think I don't know. My opinion on this subplot is basically I don't know. I enjoyed it. It feels of the
2: four plots, to I me, mean, this is the one that just reminds me of other stuff, and I can't even name what it does. It just felt like something I'd seen before, but that's not a bad actually. Thing. No, I actually didn't think of it. <laughs> actually, it was like it made me think of. I don't want to say. Well, the initial worry I was like is that it was going to be like Taxi Driver, um, because of the Jodie Foster character in that movie. But I also haven't seen Taxi Driver in like five years, so maybe I'm just misremembering it. Um, but. What I did want to bring up here, which we could bring up with one of the other plots too, but I kind of want to mention him here, is a uh, Wolfman Jack, because I feel like this is where I really uh, noticed him. And the thing I thought, well, there's a lot of ways I could take the discussion about Wolfman Jack. Like who would be Wolfman Jack today? You know? Um, and the answer is uh, Joe Rogan. Uh- well, if you've seen,
0: <laughs> if you've seen Weird, the Weird Al, the Al Yankovic story, it was Jack Black.
2: Oh, I actually didn't make that connection. That makes sense. Well, what I thought was interesting was, I, you know, I watched the documentary, I'm going to keep pulling these, uh, these tidbits of the documentary, is that George Lucas viewed this film as about technology. And in one way, he's like, it's like he views all his movies like technology. He's like, this is a movie about cars. And not only cars, but how the arrival of the radio created this new type of parasocial, he didn't use these words, but parasocial relationship, you know, is the buzzy way we would refer to it today where everyone knew who wolfman jack was even though no one knew who he was and yeah. i thought it was just so fin- interesting for me to hear because as someone who you know i mentioned blank check before but there are other podcasts i listen to where i'm like oh yeah like yeah that guy like and i'll just use the blank check guys like oh griffin and david like yeah i would I, I could walk up to them and say hi if i saw them somewhere or like or even like on letterboxd where it's like uh what's his face or we've talked about a demi on letterboxd sarah or like Robert Daniels. When I see him at screen, that's really the big one. Is like he's someone I follow on Letterbox. Follow him on Twitter. I see him at screen using the music box. And I'm like, I should go see that. And I'm like, No, you shouldn't, because you don't know that man. And it'd be very weird if you walked up to him and said anything other than, "I like this review you wrote." <laughs> like,
3: yeah, no. I had a one time. I this was when I was in college. Um, I drove up to uh Missouri to go see a live podcast, and I go I went into the like the bar where they're doing it and I walk back and I sit down at a table and I hear the guy's voice behind me and it's like just this really weird, uh, experience. And I turn around and I see him and this dude's very tall. So it's just like this literally larger than life, like figure behind me. And then afterwards, um, because it was, it was a small podcast community and I was like, I was an admin on weather forums and stuff. So they, they kind of knew who I was. Um, But I was able to go up and introduce myself and then like we went out, we got like donuts or whatever. And I went up the next year and we hung out a little bit more. And it is this very weird experience when you do get the chance to meet them because like I know so much about you. Like I've spent hours listening to you talk about yourself or whatever, but you don't know who I am. Like you maybe see a comment about like a comment from me or whatever, or like we shoot a email back and forth but i'm like this total stranger who just like i could be anything and then i think that goes even more extreme with the wolfman stuff because he the reason wolfman was so like famous was because he was broadcasting from border towns in like along the mexico american border and mexican stations had uh a stronger i'm gonna get the Radio term's wrong because I don't know anything about radio satellites. Uh, but they had a stronger feed so that it could reach across America. And even when Wolfman got big and he moved to LA, he kept sending his tapes down there because he could have a wider reach on the, with these border towns than he could in LA. And so it's just this really odd, very unique moment where this one person had so much influence. and like, from such a remote remote spot. It's very odd.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I have a pretty similar, I just want to chime in, I have a pretty similar story um, where this YouTuber that I watched uh, ended up streaming on Twitch and we actually now are, like, good friends. And it's just weird because, like, He's friends with like celebrities and like, like big names. And it's like, I have a mutual friend with so-and-so. It's just like this. It's all like the, like, even when you reach a certain level, like the parasocial, like, it just keeps going. Like, even if like to tie it back to Richard Dreyfus, like he, you know, he met Wolf fan, but it's like, it's that idea that like, oh, he did this for me. And, you know, it's like that thing that he holds on to. I just, I don't know. It's just weird. Like for me, parasocial relationships are really weird. I think how you phrased it being like, I know everything about this person, but they just know a little bit about me. I thought that was a good way of putting it.
2: Yeah, I think it's just, it's anything George Lucas says, like in the doc, or in, this is the thing where when he brought it out, I'm like, oh yeah, this is like really ahead of its time and trying to examine. Cause I feel like there should be something today that like examines this in a way that isn't just going to be like a horror movie. Cause I feel like that's the obvious way to go about it, where it's like, oh, there's a creepy stalker who listens to your podcast, you know? Uh, and I just think it's a really interesting way to do it and like to bring him into the narrative. Um, it's something where that's, that was actually the main thing. Where I'm like, Ooh, I think if I rewatch this movie and like track this element, I would find it very fascinating.
3: Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I think it's why I love the Richard Dreyfus scene so much because Richard Dreyfus's thing is he's deciding whether or not he should stay or go. And he keeps running into a bunch of people, and it really is just like an odyssey of like stranger and stranger situations. And he gets involved with a gang called the Pharaohs and all this stuff. And it ends up with him going to Wolfman's station and talking to a disc jockey who claims he isn't Wolfman, but then it turns out he is. And he's playing the tapes of Wolfman. And it's like he's constantly learning lessons of what he could be if he ended up staying, which is why he ends up deciding to leave. Like he could end up like the like the teacher who's hooking up with the student. He could end up like the gang people, but then you get to Wolfman and it's like, there's no way he can end up like Wolfman. And it's interesting that that's the character who kind of has the most impact on him.
1: Well, you know what they say? You should never meet your heroes. That's true. Anyone listen to this, please don't meet
0: us. Please don't let us
3: be your heroes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could be somebody's hero.
1: I will okay. say, it well, if... hasn't
2: happened really to me, but I've definitely relayed things to specifically Mark heard, or Tyler in the past, where it's been like, you guys don't really know these people, but you listen to them. So it's like, hey, yeah, you know, it's like they'll talk to me about Tyler. and I'll be like, okay. Like, <laughs> like I, you know, it's just weird. So I'm sure maybe they have people like that too, but.
0: Well, I think everybody has that to an extent. I mean, like, you know, if you watch, you know, the Kardashians, if you watch, you know, if you watch any TV, if you watch Ted Lasso, you're like, oh, you know, like even just like the bare minimum, you're like, I know who Jason Sudeikis is. I know that he plays this role. I know he makes me happy. Like that kind of stuff.
2: I just yeah, I mean, as someone who uh hell, this is a really uh this is an example I think I've shared before, but it's probably the best example of like parasocial relationship goes wrong is. I'm someone who was a very big fan of Jonathan Majors, and <laughs> when I met him, I didn't meet him. I went to talk with him. I was like, "This guy is the real deal." And then it's like, "You don't know these
1: people at all." Type of thing, you know?
2: Hey, like, he's a hero. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He broke up a fight.
1: <laughs> with some conveniently located campus. <laughs> <laughs> I just happen to be eating at the in and out across the street from the school.
3: <laughs> Sorry. How much? <laughs> yeah, allegedly, if you were to get two teenage girls to to pretend to fight so you could break it up, allegedly, how much would you uh, do? You think you'd have to pay them?
0: Well, I'm not going to say what I'm going to say because I think I'm, I would get canceled. I think uh,
2: I, I feel like I'm very worried in the sense that if this podcast ever became big, and if this man somehow wins his legal case, he does seem like the type of person to go after anyone who critiqued him. And I and said slander.
0: allegedly. Yeah. Okay. We're protected. We're protected legally.
1: <laughs> yeah. I have no. Guess. I have no answer.
0: <laughs> I mm-hmm. I'm just surprised that he stopped the fight. If you know what I'm saying.
2: Hey, hey! Now, if you Google Jonathan Major, should, fight, Jonathan
0: Major's fight, there you Jonathan go.
1: Fight. <laughs> <laughs> there's, like, there's a new first response. <laughs> um.
0: Jonathan major sure women beating him. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan major woman beat him. I shouldn't be
2: laughing.
3: <laughs> I don't know. I really like Richard Dreyfuss' character. I like I like the cipher character who walks through all these situations and it's just like kind of passing through. I compared it. I said it was kind of like an Odyssey beforehand, but I do think there is something uh, Homeric about it. Um, which Can I think he, Lucas.
0: Like, no, sorry, go ahead.
3: No, I, I'd say I think Lucas, that is a stretch because Lucas is very interested in mythology and stuff. So
0: I would say he's like a Holden Caulfield character. I think he's extremely Holden Caulfield because he doesn't know what direction to go. Um, but it is kind of like these periphery characters that he's maybe known for a while that now he's like finally talking to and understanding their perspectives while he's lost.
3: Yeah. Which is uh, the difference between him and Jack Nicholson's character from Five Easy Pieces is that like in the end he does make a decision. What what, what would you
2: call his decision? Was it a decision to stay? A
3: decision to depart.
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> to Chan-wook go back east. He's shaking his head no. <laughs> you know one of, um, our, one of our 10 listeners is Part chan <laughs>
3: And then uh and then Toad's storyline is that he wants to he wants What's to be cooler than he is. It's
0: like it's like 16 candles. I think it's yeah, 16, they candles, play 16 candles, the- candles in the movie. Yeah. It's the 16 Candles storyline.
1: Oh. He's
0: fun. I
2: I, I like love Toad. this storyline. It's, it's, it's like the comic relief storyline. It's fun. I li- I like the sequence
1: where he's trying to buy alcohol. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, you know, it's comedic. I think he's funny. I think the actor's funny. Yeah. I, again,
2: I, I was alluding to this earlier. I do not understand the Candy Clark single out of this entire cast. Of, I mean, I think a, it's she's the actor. We got I think it's out. strange,
0: but I thought she was pretty good. I mean, I think I, I don't know.
2: I, I was I on, uh, well, I was, I, I'm not gonna take credit for this, but I saw on Letterboxd, like, I was reading my friend's reviews, and one person was like, it is bizarre that Candy Clark got nominated, but I suppose that if you were to nominate uh, Mackenzie Phillips, which is this person's take on like the best performance then there'd be three child actors nominated for supporting actress that year. I'm like, all right, yeah, that is, that would be kind of odd. But like, again, I yeah. don't see what Katie Clark does in this movie to get the single out among the woman.
3: The nomination is odd, but I do really like the character. Um, she seems to be the one who is most living in the moment. Like everyone else is either like they're having to look to the future because of their situation. Um, or they are trying to like trying to project aspirations, which is Toad's big thing, right? Like he's lying the entire time trying to make himself cooler. She's just kind of she just wants to have good experiences, and I think that's interesting. And her definition of good experiences is interesting. Um, but remind like, me of
1: Karen Black in um, Five Easy Pieces a lot, personally. Maybe you disagree.
3: I think that was
2: the
1: that was the supporting actress you guys all liked in five Pieces.
3: Yeah, no, I, I remember Karen Black. I'm trying to f- find the, the through the line between. Yeah, I don't know. I tried. <laughs> I tried to bring. I point. don't know.
0: I don't know what she reminds me of. She just like, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything really special about her performance, but I thought she was charismatic enough that I didn't mind the nomination.
1: It is just like.
2: It's it, like there's nothing wrong with it, but again, it's like I I don't see what she did that the other two women didn't do more. <laughs> do you know yeah. I mean? <laughs> and also I feel like if you're going to give it an acting um, I would personally give Charles Martin Smith this of of like these options. I'm and I'm not giving him it later, but I'm like looking at the main cast, if I'm to lay like, and I'm not even saying this would be my pick, I'm saying if I'm the academy wanting to single out performance, I'd single out the comedic side character
1: you know like that just makes
2: wow
0: sense. isn't she kind of this comedic side character but just as a woman like,
1: i feel like i i don't i feel like most of the
2: jokes come from charles martin smith being dumb most, not really from yeah, her reactions
3: most of the jokes are at his expense but i do think i mean i do think maybe this is me projecting a little because i do think she's stirring up the boat like when she's talking about the goat killer and stuff and she's like i'm just gonna toy with this guy." There is something that I can kind of see there. That I like her bit where she's interesting.
2: Like, we lost the car, and she like keeps almost like leading them into like Richard Dreyfus knowing his car's gone. I like that part, but again, it all kind of
1: like I don't know. She's fine. I don't. I don't want to knock her too much. I'm not mad. I'm just confused. <laughs> I'm
3: not- <laughs> I think, um, besides Harrison Ford. The only of the main like cast I'd say is, I don't even want to say is bad, but I do think um, Paul Lemaire is maybe forcing some of these scenes a little bit. Like you can tell that it's a he's playing in a little bit more effort than everyone else.
1: Yeah, I, really, I I I just enjoyed I I think this was the
2: it was one of those things you know I kept falling asleep, but during these scenes, the Charles Martin Smith scenes. I know I said I liked Cindy Williams, but Charles Martin Smith scenes were like, okay, like this is funny. Like this is this is trying to be like a broad comedy, which is a little more engaging to me than when I'm exhausted, you know. I'm sure I'll like the rest when I've already visited and I'm
1: awake, but
3: I think you need all four pieces for this to work. I think you need like the the Milner stuff brings in like the mythology around the drag racing and kind of the connection, like a deeper connection to the Valley into its history. The Richard Dreyfus stuff is obviously like the emotional through line that connects like the time period. And it adds the stakes with whether he'll go or not. Ron Howard is like supposed to be the romantic stuff. Even if it's maybe not necessarily romantic, it is a, you know, it is a romance. And then the Charles Martinet stuff is comedy.
0: I just feel like, it doesn't come together in the end. I mean, I feel like the drag race should have been this big event with, like, I mean, I don't know, kind of like Greece, I guess, where everybody's there. And it just kind of felt like there were some people there. And I just, to that point, too, like, like Milner and Steve don't ever speak in this movie. I think Milner says, like, one line to, to Steve and that's it. Um so it's also kind of I don't know, like if they were like if that friendship was like forged towards the beginning in a stronger way, but I don't think they were friends. I think
3: like no. they gave
0: the nerd the car just to be like, "Oh, ho, ho, isn't this nerd funny?'re
3: they're, they're high school friends. like they they're friends of like convenience more than they are friends because they've bonded over something. I think I think the person who connects them all is probably Kurt. Kurt seems like the most outgoing and uh, extroverted. Um, But that might also just be because he's constantly being thrown in situations where he's meeting new people. But yeah, I I don't think, I don't think the friendships are deep and I don't think the situations are honestly that important to their lives. Like I think Kurt will probably remember the time he met Wolfman. Other than that, like I kind of like that this is just one night in their lives. And I think about the last night before I went to college like I got together with a lot of my friends and stuff, and I remember it being very important at the time. I couldn't tell you a single thing besides like where we went to eat now. I remember. Like,
1: I went to see Boyhood. Are you still friends with them? Yes! Sorry, I'm laughing and I'll explain why after we record, because uh,
2: stuff's going on there that we're still friends, don't worry. One of them I'm ready I'm to play f- for.
0: I'm not friends with any of my high school friends.
3: I do a podcast with uh, two of them. <laughs> so.
0: All right. Well, all right.
2: <laughs> I
0: do want to read hey, one Joe. bit from the
2: Wikipedia page before we talk about the end, which is under the uh, legacy. And I'm, I'm reading this specifically for Kayla, but sorry, you might find it amusing too. Lucas's Star Wars Episode II, Attack of the Clones 2002, features references to the film. The yellow airspeeder that Anakin and Obi-Wan Kenobi use. To the pursue Bounty Hunter Sam Westell, which I want to point out that the Bounty Hunter's name is hyperlinked. Uh, yeah, of course it uh, is. That
3: character has a lot going on.
2: Is based on John Milner's Deuce Oop. While yeah. Dex's diner is reminiscent of Mel's drive-in. I, I felt like I had to bring up
0: Dex uh, nice. It's nice oh that he memorialized man. this movie in his worst film.
3: I think we <laughs> talked. I'm going to ignore that. Um, <laughs> I, I think agree, we talked Sarah, about... I support that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just going to say I'm going to live in denial. Um, <laughs> I think we talked about the car connection because you can easily see that in the speeder chase. I do. I will admit the Dexter Jetster thing kind of flew over my head. I've just always been wiser in 1960s Star War- diner in Star Wars, but now I'm I have an answer, so Star thank Wars. you, Danny.
2: This is, this is sourced to StarWars.com. Wow. <laughs> which is now Web Archive, uh, uh, Web Archive, which is not loading for me at the moment. But we'll see if I get it. But, uh, but yeah, no. According to the yeah the official Star Wars website, it uh does indeed say it's meant to. The interior features has many features that resemble the diner seat in American Graffiti. According to the official Star Wars website, that is no longer in existence because Disney got rid of it.
0: Disney said, "No way."
2: He's like, "You can't what? advertise another ever." That's movies. extended universe you know, now. I say that, but I saw a viral clip clip earlier this week that was from like a Disney Plus documentary where they mentioned. I was so shocked they mentioned Dom, the Planet of the Apes, and the Batman. I was like, I didn't think you were allowed to say it for companies on Disney Plus.
3: <laughs> I what? What did y'all think about the soundtrack?
2: Oh yeah, that's something to talk about before we talk about Disney. I thought the soundtrack was great. Um, it's something where it. If, like, a movie came out today with this exact same soundtrack, I'd be like, ah, it's too obvious. Like, I'm annoyed. But, like, this being, like, one of the things that invented, like, music supervising and, like, soundtrack films, I'm like, no, yeah, this is a good soundtrack. And I think it's utilized well, again, part of this is me being, ed- <laughs> I think I might have come across thing, but in the doc, they're constantly talking. Because this is, like, the big thing that you bring Walter Merchant for the talk about the documentary is, like, how he used the sound and how we couldn't afford a score because we had all the licensed music. But then the other thing I thought was um, interesting about it was um, he talked about that. was another thing George Lucas was like, this is a really important thing, you know, to talk about the progression of time and how there was a time when, you know, rock and roll was cool. But then the older people in rock and roll wanted to gatekeep the new rock. And I was like, yeah, that is in the movie. And then, of course, in the document to that right show a clip of like the girl being like, I love the Beach Boys and being like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. like, but I thought it was a good soundtrack. Like, I can't complain. It's good music. <laughs>
3: yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, a lot of these choices are things that like you can easily associate with other movies or other moments in like pop culture because they've like these are like the big hits of the time. So like Johnny B. Good plays and that obviously can connect. I think Book of Love probably has been in like a million movies and stuff. But it's like man, the, these are classics. So I should have yeah, said that for Johnny B. Good. Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like I I do think there is a. There's a very interesting, um, it's very interesting to look at this in context of the like implementation of soundtracks that was beginning in the, in the, I think the late 50s was kind of when it started with uh, Blackboard Jungle, right? And then has just like grown into this, like, well, this movie is fully, like, the score is the soundtrack for the most yeah. part.
0: Well, Blackboard Jungle also started with Rock Around the Clock. And when I was watching this, I was like, didn't I watch a movie recently that started with Rock Around the Clock? And wouldn't you know, it was the season, season seven premiere of Riverdale. <laughs>
2: hey, nice.
0: I will say, I don't know. I, I can't call it obvious because obviously like this was the time. Like this was, you know, this is kind of the, the implementation of this. Uh, but when you said like, uh, when you said like, if it came out today, it made me think of Fear Street. I don't know if you remember the first Fear Street, but like there were so many needle drops. It was just obnoxious. And I feel like that's kind of the same vibe that I got.
1: Yeah.
3: What is the song that y'all would ban from ever being in a movie again? Mine is Sympathy for the Devil.
2: Oh, my gosh.
1: <laughs> Probably,
0: probably Paint It Black.
2: And number yes, one, okay. The second place one would be something that
1: goes where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods? Yeah. And the third yeah. one this is my third, third place. It's not a song but it's the track that plays at the end of Arrival
2: that was also in The Last <laughs> of Us and in Moneyball and in <laughs> I think it's called In the Nature of Daylight. It's just the orchestrated track and I remember when and it played in The Last of Us and it immediately killed the moment for me. Cause I was really like into that episode, and as soon as it played, I was like, "Oh, this sucks." And then thankfully, it made me cry again once the song was over. But as soon as I played, I was like, "Completely tore me out of it." Yeah,
3: yeah. those are all good answers. Yeah. Paint it black, man. Uh, it's so weird. Did y'all watch West? I like the
2: one in Westworld though, where they like do like a, a western cover of it. But I yeah, but it's so watch. distracting
3: because I was just like, "Why the? Why are they playing Paint It Black?" <laughs> It's the only it? thing yeah. I remember Or, about
0: like, that any, any Nirvana yeah. song. Just get that out of here.
2: What was the one I don't like? I don't know. I feel like there was one of the Guardians movies that I was like, not this one. Oh, you know what actually it actually was? It was in 4 when they played Immigrant Song. I also would be fine with Immigrant
0: Song being retired. Well, Immigrant Song is interesting because it, for a long time, wasn't able to be in anything. But now I feel like, now that people are getting the rights to it from Led Zeppelin, now it's in everything.
2: But, like, also it's like, it was the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo's trailer song. And then beyond that, it's like... Well, right, that was
0: Karen O. That was a Karen O cover.
2: Okay. And also, just in general, honestly, I said holding out for a hero, but really anything from Shrek shouldn't be in a movie. <laughs> like, I don't should. know. The Shrek this made gonna,
0: it their own. <laughs> like This is going to sound counterintuitive, but I do think that you could continue to use Hallelujah.
3: Yeah, I think you so. There are a the right bunch of different versions. Here.
2: I, mean, I think I don't mind Hallelujah, but that's actually what I was thinking of with us like, I think Hallelujah is.
1: I think Hallelujah to me only really would work Did any. I know, I don't know. I know. Sorry, you didn't see Caleb. You ever see No Hard Feelings?
3: No, I don't it think so. It uses
2: Maneater really well, which is another song I feel like was overplayed. And I wouldn't mind a movie using Hallelujah like how Maneaters used in No Hard. Because it's like a karaoke song. I feel like Hallelujah being like diegetically in a movie is fine.
3: I think I think on a similar page, Heroes, because there are a billion different covers of that.
0: Overused I, for me personally. Uh,
3: yeah, I can I can I, agree, I can understand but I also, that, but I feel like I, like I feel Such like every rabbit, time I've, it, I've seen it, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> its implementation, but
1: um I'm trying to think what well, I don't know. Isn't
2: I feel
0: up? like I think it's interesting that we brought up Back to the Future because when I hear like when I hear Johnny be good and when I hear Earth Angels like Like when I hear Earth Angel, like that's those are the Back to the Future songs. Like that's it. And they're both really famous songs. So I think that what's interesting about this movie is I feel like even though these songs are constantly playing, there's nothing in the scenes that are like, this is this this is the song that's playing during this scene. Like it never feels like that to me.
2: Can I just say very quickly, there is one needle drop in a recent like last few years movie where it completely distracted me, but it's a credit song. And that's in the end of Zombieland 2, where they play Burn in Love, where I was like, Lilo Alone Stitch
1: has this as the credits song. No one else is allowed to use it. <laughs> I think
3: I think the I think you're right, Sarah, because a lot of times it's less about the song itself and it's more about how like them listening to it on the radio and then Wolfman coming in. Like that's usually the important part. The songs are more incidental like good but not their their placement isn't thematic
1: right all right can we talk about the ending yeah sure the ending of the movie i actually don't remember what the last
2: shot is but the camera like pans up and then we get like what i always say is like i I think more movies fictional movies should end with Here's what happens to the characters next because I like will always like them. I saw it in Lost I... in America recently where it's funny. It usually is better as a gag though. I will say
0: I didn't like it.
2: What? I thought it was by if... far the best part of the movie. It was the only part that was like okay. So okay it feels
0: corny it's to me. It feels corny to me because there's nothing like you know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of the end of Parasite, and this is my biggest complaint with Parasite is how it ends with a voiceover, and it's like. Nothing in the movie has led to this and now you're ending it in this way. And I feel like it just doesn't connect for me at all.
3: I like that. like, ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I also like it. I, I especially, I don't know. I just like knowing how these characters end because they all make so much sense. And it, it feels like a real conclusion because it's like Steve got stuck in the valley. And he has like a, a desk job where he can be like successful or whatever, but it's like he's still stuck there. And oh, he's the only
2: one who's actually successful.
3: Yeah, yeah. And guy. he moved away. He's yeah, a cool and then guy, yeah, and then you know Toad got like lost in Vietnam. Was it which is it like,
1: Toad? No,
3: I yeah. thought what Milner. Milner died in the car crash. I thought Toad got it was Dreyfus who died. No, no, no. He becomes the oh, he becomes the writer sad. in Canada.
0: I can tell you guys what their endings are because I read the plot summary of the second movie. But
3: oh yes, I I did not know there was a second movie until this podcast. So
2: I re- I had forgotten. <laughs> I knew there was one, but I had forgotten it because. It's actually kind of interesting in a way that there's a second America because then it's proof positive that like if you make a shitty sequel to a classic movie, it does not matter.
0: Well, <laughs> it's very classic George Lucas, I will say, because he wanted to write it in a certain way and he was like, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be filmed this way. It's going to be written this way. And people were like, George, I really don't think that's a good idea. And he we're, was like, too bad. I did see <laughs> and then, he
2: offered it to Zemeckis and Mecca was like, no. <laughs> like, years later, years later, he
0: was like, yeah, I guess I probably should have done it differently. So. Well,
2: I, I always think about, you know, a weird thing I thought I had during this also seeing Ron Howard there. Cause you know, obviously, Ron Howard's directed solo, but there's the famous story where, you know, Lucas was only supposed to direct Phantom Menace, Howard was supposed to do Attack of the Clones, and Spielberg was supposed to Revenge of the Sith. And then, like, they were like, no, George, you should do all three <laughs> because we don't want to be stuck. That was, <laughs> that's,
0: that, they were so wrong for that.
2: <laughs> I mean, I kind of um, get why Ron Howard, cause Ron Howard was coming right off of Apollo 13. And he was like, no, I'm okay. Like my, my career is actually going pretty well right now. <laughs> I don't need to get stuck with this.
3: Spielberg is, is kind of like, all ah,
2: right, it's
1: Spielberg, no your friend. Okay, okay, but yeah.
3: Um, is the epilogue why? Do y'all know if that's why Richard Dreyfus is in Stand by Me?
2: No idea, actually, and I forgot it was Richard Dreyfus in Stand by Me.
3: Um. Dang
2: it. The ending of Stand By Me, I saw the music box, I think, a couple years ago. And, you know, everyone always talks about the ending of Stand By Me. So I'm like, this isn't going to hit me. Then it happened. I just started bawling my eyes.
0: Well, (laughs) I haven't seen Stand By Me, but I think also part of it is like they're kids. And I just feel like this is like what happened to these grown adults. I know they don't play adults, but but like.
2: Oh, sorry. Yeah, go on. Like, I I got sad about River Phoenix for a second. Sorry. That's all.
3: I don't know. I, I like the epilogue because it, it makes all of them explicitly a tragedy except for Richard Dreyfus, and it just gives you the most vague description.
0: Well, I will say, so I'll, I'll very briefly run down uh, so Wait, wait, wait. Mil- before,
2: before you do, can I say one thing from the doc that will probably lead into this? Sure. So in the doc they explicitly interview all the women about why wasn't your card there? <laughs> Like, why? And George is like, yeah, I just thought um, that it had to be like a punctuation mark. And a punctuation mark can't be eight dots long. Four is pushing it, but eight would be too much. And okay, <laughs> that's, that's why the women don't have it. Anyway, go on, Sarah. Sorry.
0: All right. So, spoilers <laughs> for more American graffiti. The
2: movie that no one knows exists. It would probably be the fourth <laughs> bonus feature in the Criterion release of this.
0: So,. So, Milner, so they change it a little bit. In the epilogue of this movie, they say that he dies in June 1964. Um, But the movie takes place in four different um, New Year's Eats. So he actually dies in December of 1964. His storyline is more or less the same. He just meets a girl, but he actually likes her this time. Uh, And then that's it, basically. Uh, Steve and Lori's storyline is. She wants she there. She's like pregnant, and she's really unhappy, and she wants to get a job. And he's like, "No, you can't get a job." And then George Lucas does his classic George Lucas politics, and they go to like a war. um, Like they go to like a war protest, and then they see like all this violence, and he's like, "Okay, you can get a job." Um, And then um, the nerd. He goes, he's like, he doesn't die in Vietnam, which I think is weird. Del
2: Lindo is a sergeant in Vietnam. I feel like I should point that out. I just, I'm I'm looking at the cast list. Go on.
0: So he like fakes his death in Vietnam because he doesn't want to be there anymore. And they, they mention that Richard Dreyfus is a draft dodger, but he's not in the movie. Um, Even Harrison Ford makes a cameo at some point. Um, But he like, he just, he like fakes his death so that he can escape to Europe. And then the fourth main character is Debbie uh, Candy Clark she won, and she's she an like astronom, that's why. she becomes a uh, a hippie along with uh, Carol who's the little girl um, and that's her storyline. <laughs> so. I want to say also I, I'm looking at the
2: cast and I'm very impressed Ford, Harrison Ford actually did come back for a cameo in this.
3: I'm mean, He needs a paycheck so he can fix his plane. I don't know. I kind of hate a lot of that
0: well, I, wouldn't it be funny if I, I cannon, so. <laughs> if I made that up what if i just make that
3: <laughs> all of it's like all of it's in line i can see where they got there except the except the <laughs> he's gonna fake his death in vietnam that seems a little too far-fetched for this it's just it's like man this is these are it's interesting because like i think of a last flag flying as a movie that's mm-hmm. it's like a sequel to a classic movie, and it's and it's kind of like why are you watching this? but I feel like there is something, there is so much like perspective there because it's so forward in time. Where here, it's like, it would ten years really give us that much more perspective on these characters. It sounds like they're still figuring stuff out in a way that wouldn't well, be the movie interesting.
2: Takes place on sixty four to sixty seven. So that's. Only two years after the end of this movie begins, you know? Yeah. It might take a while to make the movie, but yeah.
3: Yeah. Like I'm wondering if an American. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if an American graffiti movie made in the eighties with Lucas where it's set in the eighties would be more interesting, but.
2: I mean, I always um, gush about this movie. Um, As I said, Zemeckis turned it down because he was shooting. I want to hold your hand and didn't want to do it. I want to hold your hand. Another movie that's very probably influenced by American Graffiti I think is a much stronger film. Um, Always recommend it to people. It's hard to find though because
1: the Beatles kind of keep it hidden for the license.
2: You know what
0: I think is weird? Is
1: if they made a movie today that took place in 2013. I just
0: feel like that would be strange.
3: It will happen
1: trying to think what do i
0: yeah but not like like le- like 11 years earlier is what i'm what i mean oh,
2: i think I uh what's interesting yeah. i mean i get what you mean i'm just trying to put whatever i think the way to do it is you know said during those complacent obama years it's like yeah nothing's gonna go wrong you know not that politics are the only thing that have gone wrong there's plenty of things that have gone terribly wrong but i don't know i think about
1: i don't know I could make a movie about my embar. I actually did one of the first plays I wrote was about my embarrassing high school days, but I don't know. Whenever I think about high school, I just get sad I, love I just don't think about it. Well, yeah, now oh, so I've been getting
0: words. sad thinking count.
2: about college. Yeah, college. I, is the, I think I told, I told Sarah this the other day. I had the very gripping realization that I always like have this thought experiment of like, what if you could just wake up ten years back in time and change things? And I'm like, well you've reached the point where you can't change your college, you know, like you've made the college decision already well, I wouldn't change,
0: change that. that i mean i liked I liked where we went to college I just yeah, well, have I, that I, I associated uh, with
2: I would have obviously done the major I wanted, you know instead of doing something I
1: didn't um,
3: yeah, I don't college is weird, I definitely think i I skated by a little bit too much. I could have applied myself a little bit more because I don't know. I found, I found academia very easy Mm -hmm. and I wish I had, I had challenged myself more because I feel like that didn't set me up. It just set me up in a very complacent spot graduating. And that wasn't, I don't know. I, I feel like that wasn't the best place to start my adult life, especially with COVID right around the corner. Um, but I went back to, I went back, have we said, can we say where we went to school or
2: (laughs) the only person we can't, we can't mention professors by name. I think that's the general rule of thumb. I,
3: I went back to Carbondale last year, um, for a friend's wedding and the night before I was hanging out with, uh, our buddy Joey and I was like, there's nothing else to do in this town. Let's just walk around campus. It was maybe the most depressing night I've had in a long time. Cause it is walking through this spot where it's like literally nothing's changed, except I'm now like the ghost haunting the halls. And I feel so like depressed that I've come back here. And it was just, I don't know, because I didn't hate my college experience. I really am glad that I met the people I met and stuff like that. That's the main reason I'm really glad I made the friends I did. But you really shouldn't go back I <laughs> or at least not
2: the times me and Sarah went back uh to visit and yeah you know
3: when I, like I was always like ah it's gonna be fun because they get to stay with me but I'm also like why the hell are they doing
2: this <laughs> well we, we like plays <laughs> you know I liked seeing the shows
0: I will uh, say I remember when we woke up late and you were making waffles before you went to church and we were, like, texting each other while we were, like, half awake. And Danny was like, this is so sweet that he made us waffles. <laughs> I,
1: I
2: forgot about that texted about that. <laughs> well, what I remember about that stuff is among other depressing things. I always remembered, like, you know, I, I loved going, like, this is something I just love in general. Like, going on, like, a five-hour drive with friends. And it's like, you're kind of yeah. listening to stuff, maybe. But also, you can just, like, chew the shit. And, like, you, usually deep t- topics will come up just because you're in a car for five hours with someone. I remember actually recently um, a couple of years ago when I went to St. Louis, my friend was like, let's just take the train. I was like a little, like, she's like, I'm just going to take the train. I'm like, Oh, I actually wanted to drive with you. That would have been fun. But anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, unfortunately I am going back next year. <laughs> yes. yes. Which well, I think is interesting.
3: Just don't sorry. go onto campus.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because like for so much of college, I spent it with like one person and now it's like, you find a person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And I feel like he doesn't really know that side of me and we're going to be there. And it's going to be like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know how I'm going to react to being with this person that's in a completely separate part of my life.
2: I remember Sarah driving with you and like, you know, being very chill and relaxed talking. But then as soon as I got to that Walmart, I just felt a giant wave of anxiety like hit me. I'm like, Oh no, I'm back here. And this is not like I I, there are people I like here, but I have a lot of mixed bad memories here. Yeah. Um, And I don't like being actually in this town where it's like, you know, we saw we went back to that movie theater where we saw Venom and it's like. I kind of like being here, but also it's like I don't like being here. I don't know. Thinking a lot about things right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of really bad memories. I really I like the town. I'm excited to go back. I just, I'm curious to know how I'm going to feel about myself when I'm there.
3: Yeah. That's me and me and destiny. have talked about taking a trip because her school is in between Nashville and Carbondale. And so like we spend a day at her alma mater and then we spend a day at SIU and more or less, I just want to take her up to Carbondale to go hiking because there are a lot of good hiking spots. I'm like, I feel like you should know this part of me because it was like very influential. And because I spent most of the beginning of my adult life in quarantine, like I haven't had too many adult experiences yet. So like I feel like you should know this, but also I'm not sure. Like she wouldn't have dated college Caleb.
0: Exactly. All right. (laughs) I I I
1: personally
2: don't want to go any deeper here. (laughs) So uh,
0: that's
2: fun, yeah. Um, Sarah, we, let's just. Wrap, I'm sorry to be like in a bubble. We just wrap this up. <laughs> um,
0: okay, it's nominated for best picture, best director for George Lucas, best supporting actress for Candy Clark, best original screenplay, and best editing.
1: All right, I I'm gotta actually look at these. Going to sound bad to pick this, but it feels
2: like to me the default option is that I do think the screenplay is super influential. I might not be super into it, but I think it's, as I said, like Taste and Confuse comes from this. Stand By Me comes from this. A lot of movies that are kind of plotless, I think, that are like mainstream hits come from this. And I'm not too impressed by the editing. I'm not too impressed by George's direction. And I said Candy Clark makes no sense to me. So I got to go for original screenplay
0: i'm gonna give it to candy clark why not i feel like nothing else was worthy i thought she was charismatic
3: there's this great clip from a 60 minutes interview where the interviewer is talking to lucas and he's like you've won all these awards you've won oscars george goes nope no oscars (laughs) and you're still not gonna get an oscar for me because i'm gonna give this best picture uh, because I think this is genuinely one of the most interesting movies we've watched, and like there was nothing like this at the time, um, and it just has like a real personal impact on me that I didn't realize till tonight. so
2: now, I have to ask, even though this isn't me saying that I'm not going to give it because you obviously i don't I don't care honestly this is this is one of the few movies I'm like, yeah, sure I'm like I don't mind. um have you seen this thing because
1: I have
3: No, I haven't okay, I'm just but, curious. you know yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, th- I thought we established that we're not taking an Oscar away. I, from I, yeah,
2: no, but I mean, right. with picture, it is so like some I always I always talk about this. Like, if you ever go to LA, there's this hall by the W Theater where they have every best picture winner etched in there. Like, I've seen it, yeah. Yeah. And I always think, like, would the movie fit there? Like, when I see a movie, like, because my opinion, well, I went there when, like, uh, I think I first went there, like, in 2012. And I, I always, I've always thought about that. Like, will this movie fit? There? Like, The Shape of Water, that title makes sense. Coda, in my opinion, didn't make sense. Everything ever all at once. I was like, of course that like I could see that etched in Marble, you know? And that's always what I think about. But it's like this year, like goes are the flower moon, Oppenheimer, those both make sense to me. Poor things, I'm still at a place where I don't feel that title makes sense to be up there. I'm just listing contenders. I obviously don't know what's gonna win the
1: Oscars. Barbie doesn't make sense up there, right? Like and that's why I'm like, American graffiti makes sense up there. But so does the stick. That's all
3: Give an award. It's pretty obvious that this has to go to the nom you. Mean. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, sorry, give a nom. I think this is pretty obvious it has to go to ensemble because like none of the technical things about this movie are very oh. good. Um except maybe production design, but even then. Uh actually no, no, no. I'll give a production design for the cars. I think all the cars are really good and they're obviously very important in this. I should probably give it to one of the cast members, but I just kinda talk myself into production design. So
1: Okay, Sarah, what do you what about you? Do?
0: Um, this is going to sound uncharacteristic for me, but I think I'm going to give it to sound. Um, there's a part that I thought was really interesting where like all the cars were playing the radio, but they weren't like quite synced. So you could just heard like, it wasn't like, like an echo, but it was like very slightly out of sync. And I thought that that was cool.
2: The doc, I I kind of alluded to the documentary talks about that and how like we didn't have a budget for a score. So we got our. We got multimerch merch on it to try to make a score out of car
3: noises.
1: And, yeah. Um, so, before I give mine, which is going to be an acting award, an acting nom, um, I want to push back
2: on you saying that production design is the only technical thing worth... Nope, I did mention the sound. I think the cinematography here is really good. Um, but also, it doesn't have a cinematographer, so I get the the the, uh, the iffiness of being like, hey, I don't know about that one. Uh, but... Uh, I've alluded to her before. As much as I did defend my, the toad, Terry the toad, uh, I think supporting actress for Cindy Williams makes more sense. Um, and I think even with Candy Clark mm-hmm. still being nominated, I don't mind this having it all because I think Cindy Williams is very good in this movie. And I also think it's a, it, uh, most people agree with me because I was looking at the awards this has, and Cindy Williams is the only other actress nominated. And she got nominated, I think, at three other awards um, bodies. And Candy Clark, this was the only place Candy Clark got noticed. But also, I don't care about the revalidation validation. I think Cindy Williams is really
1: great in this movie, so she's my choice. Do you guys want to know what we're doing next time? Sure. All right, we're going to go to the forty seventh Academy Awards. Six nominations, no wins. It's
2: kind of a drum roll, please. Bob Fosse's
1: Lenny, not a musical. Um, have I ever you seen all that jazz? Because I I love that. No. Movie. Nope. Um,
2: well, that'll be interesting for you guys to watch this. Cause I feel like this is a movie I always hear about as only really interesting because all that jazz is kind of about the making of it.
3: Um, oh, it's about Lenny Bruce. Okay.
0: Wait, it's not Leonard Bernstein? No. They re- Riley Cooper didn't remake it this No, summer? this is about
2: Lenny Bruce. This is a I
0: know. I'm just it's, kidding.
2: It's based, it's actually um, I might um now let's share the story next time. There's an interesting story about the casting in this movie and then versus all that jazz and how it shows the cast, the people in the fake movie of Lenny Bruce and all that jazz. Um, But yeah, this is a Dustin Hoffman movie. Um, A lot of other actors who I actually don't recognize the name of, but I am excited for one performance in this
1: um, because it won the best actress prize at con. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this because I like, I think Bob Fossey is a very interesting guy. Um, I still have not watched the uh, miniseries, but yeah. Uh, Lenny. I'm getting Vincent. You call me on Letterboxd at Blinkments. You can also
2: listen to my ever podcast that is currently on hiatus, looking for the ocean of Pixar Journey. But you know what? Even if we're on hiatus, all the old episodes are there. And the only thing that dates them is our talking about Barbenheimer, which still has not stopped. So. <laughs> If you think about it, for us, it's still current.
3: I am Caleb from Caleb from the Real World. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube. From there, you can find my litany of other podcasts All New 52, Hot Trash Unlimited, and Star Wars Therapy, where I obviously talk a lot more about George Lucas. Um, And also, special thanks to our editor, Joe.
0: Thank you, Joe. Joe. Thanks, Joe. Oh, gosh. I have things I actually have to promote. Okay. You can find me on Instagram and threads. SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-Y-29. And Letterboxd, you can find me, SGK. Oh, welcome to October. Welcome to Femtober. Um, Femtober 6 is up. 31 horror films directed by women. Um, I'm trying something new this year. I'm doing a little bit of a blog. So uh, femtober.tumblr.com and instagram.com slash femtober. Uh, You can find us, the stump Club. Uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram—sorry, uh, Facebook, X, Instagram. Uh, that's it.
3: I'm so excited for you to watch Freddy's Dead again. It's so much fun. It's a good movie. I'm,
0: gonna, I'm curious to see if I like it again. Well, we'll see.
3: I I enjoyed it when I rewatched it, but
1: <laughs> all right. Join us next time, or Lenny. See you then. Bye.